You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 16 of You Play A What. I've just gotten off an interview with a truly remarkable guest. The conversation has made me feel quite inspired and we barely scratched the surface of her career milestones. Currently based in London, Bernice has appeared on stage with some of the finest London orchestras and various radio broadcasts. Closer to home, Bernice also served as the guest co-principal oboe with the Malaysian Philharmonic Orchestra in the year 2018. But apart from an insane CV, what really stood out is her work ethic, the constant pursuit for musical excellence, and a growth mindset towards her craft. This led her to turn this pandemic on its head and make the best out of the current situation. I can't wait for all of you to hear her words of wisdom, so please enjoy this episode of You Play A What with Bernice. My guest today is a truly remarkable musician. Looking at a long list of accolades makes me wonder what I've been actually doing with my life. She's a graduate from the Guildhall School of Music and Drama and currently living the dream in London. Her latest accomplishment was winning a place in the London Sinfonietta Academy, run by one of the world's leading contemporary music ensemble. Well, I am just glad that I found some motivation to get out of bed today. Welcome to the show, Bernice. How are you doing today? Hi, Vincent. I'm great. Thank you so much for this invitation to speak on your podcast. It's great to finally um, be able to reconnect with fellow Singaporean, having been away from home for so many months. Uh, no, the pleasure is really mine. Yeah, thank you for agreeing to speak to me. Uh, this is interesting because you're actually the first interviewee that I have not had any verbal communication with prior to this interview. <laughs> So, yeah, so I just hope that uh, you will not regret your decision uh, to come onto the show. No, of course not. <laughs> uh, well, it's probably too late anyway if you do. So, yeah, you just, <laughs> yeah, we just got to kind of go with this, right? Yeah. <laughs> you've been obviously uh, now based in London and you've been doing like a bunch of work recently. Mm -hmm. uh, but we will get to that in a little bit. Okay. Um, but before we, so before we get any further, could you just share with us uh, what you play? Yeah, I play the oboe and the coronglet, but definitely a lot more of the oboe. Mm. Yeah, and a rather successful one, I must say. So <laughs> uh, from, from the looks of it, you know, uh, from 2016 onwards, it just seems like your, your career really took off and you started winning a bunch of competitions and auditions. Mm -hmm. uh, so do you give others a chance or do you just want to win everything? Or what's the deal here? 
Um, for me, <laughs> I think you've really been too kind in your words. <laughs> I've not, right, right. I've not exactly won any <laughs> any audition or any any position in orchestra uh, to date. Right. Competitions yeah. wise, yeah, I've always been a huge fan of pushing myself to go for competitions. Things that are are really not. I mean, not that are optional in a sense, you know, I don't have to necessarily, right. necessarily do them, but I just kind of push myself, challenge myself to, to go that extra mile. Yeah, but I've, I've, I've not been, I've not, I'm not a huge, you know, competition winner, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, you know, I think you, you're kind of uh, selling yourself a little bit short there as well, because <laughs> I, I mean, as much as you haven't like won a permanent position somewhere, yeah. uh, you've won quite a few principal oboe positions and mm. in academies and in uh, probably music festivals and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Which, of course, still counts for something. Yeah. And uh, so, personal question: mm-hmm. How many reads are on rotation at the moment? Oh, the, <laughs> uh, the number one oboe question. Um, to yeah. Be honest, do, do I want I to know? Or? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I only have two that are working for me at the moment. So, yeah, it's always a question of never having enough good reads, always. I mean, yeah. I, my my former teacher, Gordon Hunt, always said that I have to make, mm. uh, like, he makes 10 reads every week, which means more than one read per day, which to me is really amazing. <laughs> I mean, to have that yeah. discipline. Um. I can practice every day, but making reads every day is a completely different story. So mm. I try my best. At, at yeah, you know, most weeks I'm able to hit roughly five to seven reads, and then he mm. says if he makes ten reads a week, only two or three are playable. So that, right, that's the right. life of of us, really, in a nutshell. <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah. Cool. I I mean I don't know how you cope with continuously making reads. You know, I yeah, I yeah. We just have a mouthpiece, and you know, <laughs> everything is kind of kind of sorted yeah. for right. for a really long time. Right. But yeah, that is that aside, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a slightly more serious question, or maybe not. Yeah. Uh, is it stressful to give the tuning note to the orchestra? Tuning note. It is always a little bit of that. Okay, please, kind of be on the ball with this. <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but that's very that's very me. That's very Bernice. I've got to say. <laughs> Right, right, yeah. Not people know that in general about me. I'm not sure, but yeah, that's Mm. me. Um, my very first time playing in orchestra, very first few times, I was always having an issue actually with uh finger quivering because the way that my nervousness came across when I was in my very early days of orchestra playing was by shivering. So that that's the Ah, absolute worst giveaway that you're nervous actually i you know some people have uh have sweaty palms or you mm. know things like that but to show that yeah. you're actually shivering is just so obvious and it's embarrassing and then right, <laughs> it got right. so bad one time that <laughs> one time it got so bad that uh my a was actually the pitch was even changing because i was shivering that much no, but over yeah. time, uh, that went away, thankfully. Uh, now I don't mm. have that problem anymore. At least it hasn't come back in quite a while. Yeah. Um, but mm. I still always make sure, you know, to just have an A with a tuner beforehand just to make sure that, you know, my pitch is not kind of way off or something. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can just pass it off as VIP, isn't it? It's just like, oh, this is like, yeah, you know, mm. a little bit of vibrato, a little bit of color <laughs> in the sound, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, if I imagine myself in the shoes of an oboist that is supposed to give the, the tuning note mm. to the orchestra, I mean, it gives me already a little bit of anxiety just thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, the need to, to do it. Yeah. Mm. I don't know, man. I'm, yeah. Might not be, be up for it. The, yeah. the, the biggest worry for me always when I give the A is actually not so much the pitch, but water in uh, the oboe keys. Because... Ah, it clocks um, or something, right? Yeah. yeah. This is really my worst nightmare, honestly. If I give in tuning A and there's water in the A, it's the worst nightmare come true. <laughs> yeah, so I always clean up my oboe extremely thoroughly before. Yeah. So, yeah. so what happens when there's water inside? It just kind of bubbles? Yeah. A little bit? Yeah. Uh, okay. It's, it's terribly okay. embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we, we all learn from experience with these kind of things, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. There, there yeah. was once as well, I, I was doing like a short recital mm-hmm. and I just forgot to, to empty up the water in the instrument as well. Ah, okay. So, so I went on, it just like bubbled like crazy. Yeah. And I was like, do I stop? Do I... Yeah. Carry on, but but there was no way for me to like. It wasn't like a tuning note, right? It was actual piece. Ah, I so, see. Okay, right. Yeah. So right, right. yeah, I had to had to uh, yeah empty up the water in front of everyone and start oh, again. So, yeah. 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 These are all the unforeseen things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All all the wonderful experiences that you experience as a musician, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> yeah. Now let, let's talk about uh how things has been for you these last couple of months. Uh, there must be a number of things that has got postponed or cancelled due to the, the pandemic and the whole situation around the world. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I saw that there was uh, one particular concert that was uh, postponed for you, which mm-hmm. was supposed to be, uh, you're supposed to play an oboe concerto called oh, right. Nangma yeah. with the Singapore Chinese Orchestra. Yeah, that's right. Which is supposed to happen in about two weeks, isn't it? So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, so I guess like, if you were to play mm-hmm. uh, or perform the concerto, you should be back in Singapore by now to serve your yeah. quarantine and stuff like that. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, you must be gutted that the concert is postponed then. Yeah, it, it was definitely um, not the best piece of news to have been receiving these past few months with gigs cancelled. You know, they, they really mm. dropped dropped dead like dominoes. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, but... Uh, I think postponement always gives a glimmer of hope, as in, you know, we, we assume that it's going to happen at some point in the future, just not sure of when. So yeah. rather than being cancelled uh, entirely. Yeah, but yeah. it's the past few months have been pretty tough, I would say, not going to lie. Um, mm. Mentally, especially, actually, it's been really challenging to always kind of try to remain positive about the future um, as a freelancer as well and you know finances and things like that so yeah. this has been a huge uh, mental challenge for me yeah I've, yeah definitely I've been, yeah I've really been very much more conscious of the thoughts that I choose to entertain in my head mm, yeah. yeah I think particularly living overseas that's even more precarious right like if yeah. you're living in singapore it might not be it's still bad but it's it might not be as bad because at least there's family members yeah. and yeah people around you 
yeah but yeah. you know uh, we, we know that the experiences of living abroad well it's well it could look like uh, rainbows and unicorn deep down there's a lot of moments that we are alone isn't it yeah definitely I want to ask a little bit more about the concerto. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like the choice of repertoire, how, how did this whole thing come about? Were you engaged to do this thing, uh, uh, to play the concerto? Right. Uh, so I received a text one day from Moses, yeah, who is the conductor, yeah. who was going to conduct the concerto. Um, yeah. He said that I've been invited to perform and whether I'll be interested. So of course, I, I was very interested. Um, he said the repertoire, mm. the repertoire was already set. So uh, it was Nangma, yeah, Uber Concerto. Yeah. So I, I had a Google mm. on YouTube and to have a listen. And I thought it was all pretty interesting. I've never played yeah. it before. And I've never played mm. um, with or in a Chinese orchestra before. But um, I'm always willing to give new things a shot. I'm always very open to, to trying new things mm. and experiences. And I'm very interested. I was very thankful for the opportunity. And it's uh, the piece is actually really beautiful, right? So yeah. this kind of very typical, beautiful, uh, luscious, huge melodies that is very commonly found in traditional Chinese music. Yeah. Uh, interjected with a little bit of extended technique, like multiphonics. Yeah. And all, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's quite quite an interesting piece. Definitely. And, uh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, the, the recording that I uh, had a uh, listen to was with. Uh, a symphony orchestra accompaniment. Mm-hmm. So I, I think if it's with um, Chinese orchestra, you will give a completely different uh, yeah, colour and feel <laughs> yes. to the music. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, like, like you said, we, it's been difficult, isn't it? Uh, to just cope with this change in our life and what we, our work and our schedule and all this kind of stuff. Mm. How, well, did you jump into high productivity straight away when you heard the news of like things being cancelled or being pushed back? Um, or did you actually take some time to to ease into this whole thing? Interesting question. When I first uh, got the news of lockdown in the UK, when things started uh, going blank, it was in mid-March actually. Yeah, I was mm. in the middle of rehearsing with an orchestra f- to accompany the trumpeter, Alison Balsam, on some jazz pieces. So we had the right. first rehearsal and then it, the, the actual uh, concert was cancelled and then the rest after that. So um, actually at the beginning, when I wasn't quite uh, so sure of how long this would last, I wasn't sure of the, the exact degree of severity of the pandemic. I was actually a little bit relieved because I, I just finished my final recital at Guildhall, my graduation recital. And up mm-hmm. till that point, it was all very, um, very kind of packed for me. So I was really running from place to place doing various things, rehearsals and uh, concerts and lessons and everything. So I was quite tired by that, by that point. But um, mm-hmm. when I realized that this is actually a very long drawn process, then it started actually really setting into me that this is not going to happen, not going to get better anytime soon. And then I started yep. kind of thinking, oh, so how should I, you know, live my life at this point when nothing is happening? And I decided mm. to just just practice, really, because um, there's really nothing much else uh, to do for me. I mean, it, it sounds very nerdy, I know, but um, it's not that yeah. I have nothing else to do in my life, but <laughs> it's just that. No, nobody's I, judging, I, don't worry. I have, I have <laughs> complete, complete of the oboe and... I've actually found sometimes pretty bored 
in mm. all honesty. Yeah. Um, it's more like I just want to play something, you know, just get my fingers moving, my lungs working and things like that. And then, okay, the guilt is off, so, so, so to speak. You know, yeah. so um, mm. I threw myself into practicing a lot, a lot of uh, technical mm-hmm. studies, uh, pieces, repertoire that I never got a chance to ever play to my, to my teachers at college. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing. I've been working a lot more on my online presence as well. Mm. Since yep. nothing is happening in the real world anyway. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you that during this period of time, uh, we could very easily be just staying at home, feeling sorry for ourselves, mm. or complain about how terrible the situation is, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, and I think it's okay to have uh, this sort of uh, thoughts and this kind of emotions. Yeah. But what is also important is that we then take action afterwards. Yeah. And what I think that's great for you is that you actually did that and you took action. You, like I said, you uh, increased or made your um, online presence even stronger than before. Mm-hmm. And you're putting up, obviously, plenty of content on your YouTube channel. So my gut feeling tells me that you probably had the idea to have a beautiful website and want to post regular content on YouTube, yeah. but you just haven't got around doing it before this whole lockdown situation. That's Is that right? Or? That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, I always had these ideas at the back of my mind, but because I've just been too busy, I never gave much thought to it. Mm. Yeah. So it's yeah. now that during the lockdown that it's, it's really given me an opportunity and time and space to just create, be creative essentially and do what I want with, with my with my portals online. Mm, yeah. And I think it's really, really fantastic that you really took action during this time. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, yeah, a lot of people are struggling and sometimes it's difficult to to have this uh, sort of motivation, right? To actually yeah, uh, do something yeah, that is positive yeah. Yeah, and have a, uh, some kind of uh, creative output as well whilst doing what you think is positive. Yeah. yeah. So uh, on your channel, you have a wide variety of content, mm-hmm. right? So uh, some of it, are, of course, already existed before this lockdown. Yep. So most of your video revolved around you performing, which mm-hmm. I believe is the most uh, difficult and demanding aspect of putting up videos, like your mm-hmm. your own, uh, to start a YouTube channel for a yeah. musician, to be constantly putting up this amount of like high quality <laughs> playing videos. I think yeah. that is extremely challenging. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So of course, uh, with, within this spectrum of your uh, performance videos we have orchestral excerpts we have etudes of uh, varying difficulties mm-hmm. you also do pedagogical videos where you talk about some fundamental uh, playing tips and i think recently something about memorization yeah and you even do some read making videos as well yeah that's so true. out of these three things uh, or th- uh, three sort of uh, genre or video or content that you're making which is your favorite um, I would say videos on technical studies at the moment because um, I'm not sure why I've always had um an inclination for to to practice technical studies exercises more so than pieces. I've mm. always my favorite things to practice at any given point in time is either baroque music or technical etudes. 
So I see. yeah, for the moment, that is my favorite thing to record. Wow. Okay. Well, good thing that is your favorite thing to record because I don't think many people will embark <laughs> on this <laughs> journey of yeah. And some of these attitudes that you are playing is seriously difficult. I would say. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. of course. Yeah, this is from the lens of a euphonium player. Of course, like I, I don't know if. Yeah, I'm sure it is very challenging for oboe. Maybe even more than what I imagine. But mm. good on you. Yeah, good <laughs> on you. So, so you, you can tell, right? All I do is speak to people. So this is the kind of content that I like to create. Right. So right. yeah, the, yeah. The, the less you hear me, the better. You know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, of course, with having online presence comes this element of self-promotion. Yep. Right? And I think this aspect of our work, this self-promotion aspect of our work, mm -hmm. is something that a lot of people face difficulties with. Sometimes it's with themselves. Sometimes maybe they don't know what to do. Mm. Uh, because I think most musicians don't feel comfortable with self-promotion you know either yeah. they think that they practice really hard they get really good then the phone will just ring mm. or maybe they think like if i am doing a lot of self-promotion or i'm doing self-promotion it's like i'm kind of selling out in a way mm. um yeah so i don't know if you agree with this how has this experience been for you um, for me personally i'm really really not a person who self-promotes I've got to say that in all honesty, mm. it, it makes me feel highly uncomfortable putting myself out there. As well, in, even yeah. putting myself, even telling people about an upcoming event that I'm going to be playing in on Facebook, for example, social media is very uncomfortable for me. Somehow, um, I don't know why YouTube has a degree of anonymity for sure, because I don't know who my subscribers are most of the time. Um, I don't know, mm. therefore, who is watching my videos. And actually, that works for me a lot better than you know, so on social media, Facebook or Instagram, whereby I know who has seen my posts, who likes it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I like mm. YouTube from that sense, from that point of view. I've always felt a very, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if the word is vulnerable, but I do feel kind of exposed when I, when I put things online in, in a sense. But, mm. you know, I've, it's come to a point when I've already graduated from master's, this sort of thing is, if, if you don't promote yourself, especially in a huge country like uh, the UK, really no one is going to know of your existence. It's, um, it's, it's, as, it's, as, as, it's as cold but true as that. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, um, there is always a sense of us as classical, uh, Western classical musicians, right? Perhaps to aspire to someone else mm -hmm. that is already in the music scene. So uh, what, what I mean by that, maybe I wasn't very clear, but what I mean by that is, for example, there are top oboists in the world, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of maybe aspiring oboists would aim to do the exact same thing as these people mm -hmm. or this elite 2 to 3% in the world, right? Yeah. But they tend to forget that there is something about them that is unique that they can offer to maybe their supporters, uh, your unique personality yeah. and playing. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes we don't see that and we tend to want to go into this kind of rabbit hole of yeah. being true. someone else. Yeah. yeah, very true. Yeah, I mean, good on you. Lots of respect 
uh, with your YouTube channel. Yeah, Thank really. You. And Thank you very much. And it's like your it's your consistency of showing up almost every other day or every day that is really really remarkable. Right. Yeah. yeah. I try. I try very hard. <laughs> how how long in advance are you preparing your material in general? Um, I generally kind of think about what I want to upload about two weeks in advance. Mm. Yeah, because I have to record uh, around. Definitely, the latest I record wouldn't be the, on the day I choose to upload. It has happened maybe once or twice when I've just been very last minute or I can't get it up to standard. But generally, I record the day before or best two or three days before. So that's why I have to plan around two weeks in advance to be able to practice. Mm. Right, right. Any accidents so far that you thought you had a take and you're going to post and then like there was no sound or, or um, something? There was one time when I I have invested in a pair of external mics from DPA to connect to my Zoom H5. I've always been using Zoom. So right. when I bought those external mics and I connected to the Zoom, I didn't adjust the channels properly. So one of the two external mics had a completely like that kind of very loud buzzing bu- buzzing noise. But thankfully, okay. after a bit of research and on Logic Pro, the the yeah software, I managed to kind of yeah. erase that and then just have a have a clean sound recording. So that was a real relief because that was actually for uh, an audition tape that I eventually I got, got a place in. So that was a huge relief. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, you know what would be really funny is that at the end of this interview. And <laughs> turns out there's no sound, right? <laughs> yeah, that that would be a first for me, to be honest. But yeah, Fing- fingers crossed, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. So now, uh, usually I talk to my guests mm-hmm. about our first encounters. Yeah. Right. So uh, there's not so much for us to talk about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think the only time I sort of had contact with you prior to this, yeah. I'm not sure if you remembered that we exchanged a text for a potential Christmas gig in like end of 2018. Ah. Yeah. I yeah, it's okay really if you don't remember, remember. but they do remember. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so if you go back to your uh, Facebook chats and stuff like that, you might find it or you already blocked right. me after that, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah, like, who's this strange person? Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh other than that to be honest, uh, all I can say is we, we first spoke to each other about 25 minutes ago since the podcast started. That's it, right? Yeah. So yeah, moving on very quickly from this question. Mm-hmm. So uh, now, can you tell us about your musical journey and career development so far? Yeah, I started my musical journey actually on the Descan recorder and then the Alto recorder. I absolutely loved playing recorder. It was um, not... In primary school that I started it, my dad was the one who decided that I should start on it. And he was my teacher all the way for recorder. So, I see. Okay. Yeah. So, wait, I got to stop you there for a second. Okay, sure. uh, yeah, with, with someone as uncultured as I am, uh, could you just explain to me what is the Descant recorder? Ah, okay. Um, the Descant recorder is basically the wind instrument the tiny little wind instrument that everyone is made to play in primary school the one that comes in like all sorts of bright different colors like pink and orange and green and for what reason i can never understand 
<laughs> marketing that's why you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah okay um, yeah so it it's um i mean a lot of recorder music is broke and i believe that's the reason why till today my favorite music to play on the oboe and even to listen to on any instrument is broke music i see okay yeah and of of course then the the auto recorder is a little bit uh lower than the deskin recorder i yes, assume and larger in size okay right yeah so you started learning that uh from your father yes yeah this feels like we are traveling back in time eh, to the 1700s you know, in the terms of like Mozart or something like that when you learn music from your father. It's yeah. pretty cool. Really cool. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, so, basically when I com- completed all the exams for the recorder, I proceeded to learn the oboe at the age of 12. So that was also my dad's decision. I, I had no say basically in, in that early music education of my life. One fine day, my okay. brothers bought an intermediate oboe of eBay and told me to learn it without even mentioning it to me beforehand. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I absolutely hated the oboe at the beginning because it made me have severe migraines, uh, which would last the entire day. And it also made mm. me perspire as if I just run a marathon or run a lot, a, a long way. My house okay. didn't have any aircon at that time and therefore I didn't practice much at all maybe yeah 10 minutes three times a week on a good week mm. yeah and of course this is caused by the the back pressure isn't it because the opening of the reed is so small yeah that's why it it kind of causes that kind of headache yes and definitely. stuff right yeah. okay it, uh, it's very is a very in- intense pressure on the brain especially mm, right so then um well that was some that was maybe a couple of years i can't really remember at this point but maybe after just a few weeks later to my surprise i got a distinction in my grade 5 ebrism exam and then after grade 5 i went on to grade 8 and then after grade 8 i desperately wanted to stop uh or both. <laughs> <laughs> also like you know i finished yeah. all the grades really so i this is this is it <laughs> But, yeah, it's time to it's time to light it on fire and <laughs> use it as a torch or something. <laughs> yeah, but my dad uh insisted that I go on to do diploma. Yeah, so which I did. Uh then it, okay. was, it was then actually that I started cultivating some love for the instrument. It was I was in NJC mm. by that time, uh, yeah, National Junior College, and I was in the band CCA. Right. And I was given an opportunity to perform Gabriel's oboe with NJ Ben. The performance I vividly remember was in Singapore Conference Hall, and that was the moment actually when it dawned on me that this is what I want to do. Want to do in life. Yeah. Yeah. To play Gabriel's oboe on the oboe, <laughs> right? That's. Right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah um. Then, at my teacher's advice, I then auditioned for. I mean, a year early for Yong Siuto, and then I got into the Young Artist Program and started my bachelor's at NUS. Mm, okay. Yeah. And my four years at YST were honestly the best years of my education. Um, I feel that yeah. YST is unique in the sense that because it's so small, everyone really knows everyone else. Even if you do gigs outside, it's very often the same faces anyway. So it's all a very cozy feeling. Yeah. So, I felt yeah. very included in the cohort and community, which is, is, is easy to foster because it's, it's so small. 
you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, I also got many opportunities to perform, which I was very grateful for. Even now, I remember my days at YST very fondly. And sometimes yeah. I'm even nostalgic, actually, when I look back. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, and then I, I had actually no intention at the end of my four years to do master's after YST. Until in my fourth year, I received an email forwarded by YST admin office informing us of auditions held for the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in various countries okay. in Asia. So I, I decided... Right. Yeah, why not just do it? I'm generally quite a homesick person, so that's why I wasn't I wasn't keen on uh doing masters after anyway. But uh Okay. In the end I got an offer with a scholarship to study at Guildhall, so I went. Mm. Yeah, and then Guildhall, mm. I intended to just do it for one year and then full stop come back. But in the end I did three years of studies at Guildhall and then now I'm I'm still in the UK. So it is interesting yeah. how, how and where life takes you. But yeah, for yeah, sure. Guildhall was truly an eye-opening experience for me. I got a taste of what it's like to to move from being a big fish in a small pond to a small fish in a big pond. So in a sense, mm. the bubble was burst. It it really, really I felt pretty kind of lost for for mm. quite some time. Yeah, it's that reality check moment, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh the competition is firstly a lot steeper, of course, because there are many more oboists and uh, but at the same time, I got to learn from famous oboes like Nicholas Daniel and Gordon Hunt, people I never yep. ever dre- dreamt I'd actually personally meet one day. Um, mm. Yeah, my first experience playing with the London Symphony Orchestra also felt like a dream. Really, I was, mm. you know, pr- prior to my master's, the closest I ever got to the LSO was only by watching their YouTube videos. And then I remember the first time I was sitting uh, in and amongst them, I was really feeling like, oh my goodness, am I even alive? So it, it's, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's essentially been a dream come true. And mm. then turns out that right. I didn't actually spend much time at Guildhall because, uh, in fact, in 2018, I was in Malaysia more than I was in the UK. And the reason for that is because I was doing my trial for co-principal oboe with the Malaysian Philharmonic Orchestra. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Of course, I, I didn't know you personally back then, but I've heard from uh, my friends that you were at the MPO mm. uh, trialing for their, for their co-principal position. Yeah, that, that yeah. I remember. So right. wh- where, uh, at what point of uh, your education is this? So this was midway through uh, your master's yeah. and you took time off? Uh, this was when I just finished my master's and then I wanted to go on to do an artist diploma. Which is like sort of, ah, okay. sort of advanced masters. Basically, I was I was just buying myself time because I wanted I still wanted to learn, improve, and at the same time I was still auditioning and things like that. So that happened. The the MPO happened in the early part of the artist diploma course. Mm, okay. Yeah, and then most recently this year I got into yeah the London Sinfonia Academy and. Also, the London Philharmonic Orchestra's Foil Future First Program, which is both both of these things are basically academies that allow you to play with the orchestra members and to perform on stage with them. Mm. Yeah, give yeah. give us training basically from them. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all this sounds like incredibly exciting. So what a journey for you, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. What a journey. Sounds sounds really really amazing. And now. 
So talk to me like about your your father. Is he yeah. like a professional musician or is he like just uh, a, a very passionate amateur? Uh, he was uh, he played the clarinet, piano, and saxophone. Basically, when he was much younger and still in Malaysia, he's Malaysian. Yep. Okay. Uh, and um, but he decided not to pursue music in the end. So he was in right. the Malaysian Youth Orchestra. But after that, he just decided to to go and do engineering. Right. <laughs> yeah, but because uh, because his his mind was sound, right? So he decided <laughs> to yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do this. Yeah. yeah but, um, <laughs> but even though he didn't pursue music, um, he's he's extremely musical, and he was my very first teacher at the age of mm. five. Yeah, five when I first learned the recorder. Yeah, and I I reckon that with your as your development went on, he should be extremely supportive mm. with your choice of pursuing music as a formal studies and as a career. Yeah. Yeah. He's always been extremely supportive, both he and my mom, which I'm very, very mm. grateful for. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know if this is fair, but uh, can I go as far as to say that we can sort of divide your uh, progress into kind of two parts. Mm -hmm. So there's a pre pre 2016, which is probably, I guess, a lot of hard work, lots of practice. Mm -hmm. And post-2016, still a lot of practice, but we are now starting to reap the sort of benefits and the rewards of all the work that you have done uh, before that. Yeah, yeah, you could, you, we could split it in that way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so it has, what has changed uh, throughout this time? Has there, uh, how has your, how do you think your practice schedule has evolved? Or was there like a mindset shift since or between um, these two periods of time? Yeah, actually, when I was at YST, there has been a shift for sure. When I was at YST, I used to make myself practice for at least four to five hours every day. I remember right. there was one time, but only once that I went up to seven hours. And I remember that my entire head, brain, mouth, everything felt like iron. So I decided that <laughs> I'm okay. never going to repeat it. It's actually unhealthy. I see. Yeah. So it okay. was the duration of my practice back then that mattered most to me. So even if I already finished what I needed to practice for the day, if I had some time left over, I would just practice other things. Mm, and then okay. I used to take pride yeah, in being like yeah, the, the geekiest, geekiest student award. But, you know, I... I was sometimes the, the first person in YC or the last person to leave and that sort of thing. And I'll feel like, oh yeah, I, I'm feeling very accomplished today because I've got a lot of things done apparently. And then, um, yeah. yeah, so, but these days it has changed. I still practice, but I like to finish learning something in the shortest amount of time possible, but equally well. So, Mm. Last time I used to equate like the longer of the longer amount of time I spend on this thing, the better it's eventually going to be. But actually, that's not the case because I used to do quite a lot of like mindless repetition, just kind of like repeating uh. over and over again, and that's my 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 idea of practice. But these days, it's more of like deliberate practice, which everyone hears so much of about, which is really true. Um, yeah, yeah, you really just zone zone in zoom in on exactly what needs to be fixed and fix the problem, and that's it. So, mm. um, yeah, I mean, I've always, one thing hasn't changed though for me. I've always, and I still push myself to go for as many things as I possibly can. 
by things I mean yeah. like competitions, auditions, masterclasses, organize my own recitals, etc. So mm. I'm a firm believer in the sentence, the harder you work, the luckier you get. So even mm. on days when I'm feeling tired or unmotivated, the key is actually to just get started. Just open my oboe case, just put my oboe together, soak the reed, play. Just get started. And then I always tell myself, I mean, I don't have to practice one hour today even. Even just 20 to 30 minutes of scales and a study, then that's it. And then eventually, actually, mm. I realized that I end up practicing for longer than that just because I got started. So, mm, yeah, if there's another aspect that has slightly shifted, I would say that in the past, in YC, I used to go for everything without too much consideration of finances because, of course, um, I was so lucky. Everyone at YC is actually very lucky to have been mm. uh, provided so generously with the full tuition scholarship plus a stipend and even partially covering trips abroad for musical-related activities. Um, yeah. That was a huge financial burden off my back. But yeah, the main thing on my mind then was to improve. But now I'm still very concerned and prioritize my improvement on the oboe, but I'm much more conscious of finances these days. Not just because of yeah. COVID, but even with moving to London, I had to write down my daily expenditure of living in such an expensive city. I had to mm. make sure that I didn't exceed uh, my budget for this week, even transport. I had to take note, okay, this tube fare was how much, how much, how much. And then I had to look for alternatives. Maybe if I get off at this station, it'll be a bit cheaper, but you know, it's longer work for me, that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, that has definitely shifted. Now I also take into consideration, can I afford to go to this place to do this thing? Mm, yeah. yeah. Just living within your means, right? That's That becomes important as well to yeah. sustain your life, basically. Definitely, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And yeah, I, I really love what you said about creating your own luck. Mm. I think absolutely because I, I think how it works is there's always two questions, right? Yeah. It's uh, or Actually, the, the main question is are you ready when the opportunity comes? Yeah. So, on your part, you cannot control when opportunities will come to you. Mm -hmm. But what you can, can control is to be ready all the time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah? yeah. Because you can have, like, for example, um, the, the audition for, say, the, the Foils Future First yeah. and the audition for the London Sinfonietta Academy came up. You were ready. You went for it. You yeah. got a position. Yeah. If this was, say, three years ago in the same kind of position... Perhaps mm -hmm. in your journey and your development, you might not have been ready yet. Mm -hmm. And even the best opportunity comes to you. You go for it. It's still a very good learning experience to mm -hmm. do the audition and, and stuff. But perhaps you will not uh, reap the full benefits, meaning not get the position, right? So yeah, I absolutely agree that we ha just have to be as prepared as possible so that we're ready whenever opportunity comes knocking on our door, we grab it with both hands and then we run with it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you also mentioned, uh, so these two things, right? These two academies that you are part of now. Yeah. Uh, is it right for me to say that the genre of music that they play is widely different? Uh, yes. Yes, pretty different. Yeah, so uh, I would say that uh, London Sinfonietta is more contemporary music. Yeah. And... The, the London feel would be more kind of the uh, symphonic repertoire yep. and the more uh, normal things, right? Yeah. Yep. 
things of the past. Yeah. Uh, so when did you, did you always have interest for contemporary music? Because this might not be uh, something that people want to go into, right? And yeah. yeah, do you, or do you draw some kind of similarities between Baroque music and contemporary music? Um, I've not particularly been, uh, have, have, have had an inclination towards contemporary music, but I've, like I uh, mentioned before, I've always pushed myself to go for everything that I can. And I believe that it's important to uh, be as flexible as possible. I mean, I might have a love for Baroque music, but if I only want to do Baroque and, and nothing else or just the, the normal rap, then I think I'm missing out um, and I'm uh, losing options, potential options for myself in the future. So I went to audition for the London Symphony with that in mind. I have had very good experiences performing contemp contemporary repertoire. One particular mm. experience that stands out for me was when I gave a performance of Esa Pekka Salonen's second meeting for oboe and piano at Milton Court Concert Hall in London that was broadcast okay. live on BBC Radio 3 and was a huge success. So second meeting is definitely a contemporary piece. It was a fantastic experience. He was he was there sitting in the hall himself. So it was very high pressure mm. for me, but I'm glad it went well. Uh, and mm. I've also performed contemporary works such as Ligeti's Kammer Concert and Edgar Varese's Octant in a chamber setting at Guildhall. So they've also been yeah. very interesting, very eye-opening. There was once in uh, the Ligeti's Kammer Concert that I had to uh, play not just double on oboe and koranglay, but I also had to play the oboe d'amore. So it was like a triple sort of instrument setting, which was the very first time I'd ever done in my life. Yeah. Right, right. So that was pretty challenging, but I guess that is the challenge of contemporary repertoire to learn extended techniques on oboe to uh, produce a wide variety of different colors as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a whole. It's like learning a new language, isn't it? Essentially, yeah. that's what it is with yeah. Yeah, contemporary music. Uh, can we still have access to, or can we have access uh, of your uh, Radio Three recording in Singapore, or is that limited um, to the UK only? I believe that has already been taken down. Yeah. Ah, so, okay. That's a shame. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I was thinking of putting uh, the link on the show description. Oh, that's so yeah, fine. But. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. No problem. <laughs> so, um, what what are the things and the opportunities that's available to you in this academy, uh, in both the London Sinfonietta one yeah. and the uh, Foils first? Um, I believe the main thing is that you get to rehearse and then eventually perform on stage with the orchestras, the the, the respective orchestras. You also get opportunities to have lessons, uh, with the members of the orchestra so i would have lessons with the oboists of each and then mm. they do i mean quite often academists go on to freelance with the sinfonietta or in this case with the lpo um after after the academy is over i mean whenever the chance arises hopefully that will that will happen at some point mm. yeah cool yeah definitely definitely so uh what what is it uh I, for now, is it kind of sort of suspended because uh, I doubt they're having rehearsals now, right? In the UK? Uh, yeah. So uh, are, are you doing smaller scale things? The Sinfonietta Academy has been postponed to the end of the year in December. And the LPO one, it's... Well, we're going to have our first 
sort of icebreaker session uh, next week on Tuesday, but with all kind of, you know, social distancing regulations in place. So I, th- I believe a little bit of the academy will be online because of the current situation. And mm. anyway, even if they make plans at the moment, it could all be changed uh, overnight because of government uh, guidelines and things like that. If there's a second lockdown that happens, yeah, everything will be changed immediately. So it's yeah, all kind of right. uncertain and up in the air at the moment. Okay, okay. But yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, for uh, for what it is, I'm sure that these um, programs and academies will not shortchange their participants. And if you're part of it, I'm sure they'll give you like the best possible uh, experience. Yeah. Whatever, in whatever means. Could be delaying, uh, postponing the academy or yeah, pivoting online in an effective way, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Mm. And focus in a little bit about uh, with the pre-2016 period of time. Yeah. So your time spent in Singapore. Okay. And there are a fair number of uh, Singaporean oboists yep. that are based overseas and all working in Singapore. And all of them play to, I say, a, a very good level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So g- growing up uh, as an aspiring oboist in Singapore... What was it like to have these more established musicians around you in your early years of development? Um, it was all very positive and I'm very grateful actually for those who gave me guidance and showed me the way in my early years of playing in Singapore's music scene. I've mm. you know, always been a worrier as a person in general, like a worry about things. In, in music, I, I worry about I'll play wrong notes, wrong rhythm, say the wrong thing, etc. So inevitably for me, I've kind of always felt a certain degree of stress that I, I put on myself because I want to be well prepared for the rep. I need to know the part, the piece. I need to be punctual. I need to be sociable. Above all, I need to mm. always play my very best. So that is pressure on my part. Um, I've always wanted to improve with everything that I do. So I would say that the competition I felt was generally with myself. I, am I better today than I was yesterday? You know, so um, this is something that I'm, I'm always very conscious of. I mean, my first, mm. I, I was pretty late actually to the, I think I was pretty late to the orchestra scene in general, music scene in general in Singapore, because my first exposure to other oboists was actually pretty late in life, around 16 years old, even though I started oboe at 12. And reason okay. for that is I was started on private lessons straight away, right when I got my oboe. I didn't play with ensembles or orchestras outside and my secondary school, uh, Methodist Girls School, had no band, only a string mm-hmm. ensemble. So I was always by ah, myself. okay. Yeah, so to speak, always by myself right. in this oboe journey. My very first orchestra experience ever was actually playing with, uh, was at RI and when Jonathan Shin was performing Mozart's Piano Concerto Number no. 20 and he asked me to play for oboe. I okay. remember that experience being very uh, quite terrifying at first because it was my very first time and meeting mm. so many new people, but I enjoyed it thoroughly and also definitely because the oboe section was so encouraging. I will never forget it. I mean, and in general, the whole wins, everything, everyone. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. Um, yeah, since then, I've always made an effort, even when I was doing my master's here in London, to always play something in Singapore's annual double read day if, if I'm available. Yeah, yeah, it's all very positive. It's interesting because you you came from a place where it's uh, I would say very 
it, it's normal, right? Say if you're a violinist to to have this sort of development trajectory as yourself. Yeah. So yeah, as a as a wind player, most of us uh came from the band, uh, school band system and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Did, uh, did did you like? Did you feel that like it was a shame that you didn't get exposed to play in a larger ensemble at an earlier age? Um, not particularly. Not particularly. I'm not sure if... Yeah, not particularly. I mean, um, mm. I've always enjoyed playing in orchestra. I, I very much enjoy that. I also very much enjoy playing, giving sol- solo recitals. So I would say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty flexible. But... Um, mm. Yeah, I don't. I don't regret having having started late in that sense. But I, I remember when yeah. I first played in in band at NJC. That was my only band experience as a member, as a band member. Definitely, band is a huge, huge, huge uh, plus for for wind players. Definitely, you know, you get to work with other people, get to play in an ensemble, uh, and develop the necessary skills at an early age. So that's definitely very useful. Mm. Yeah, I would encourage yeah. every everyone cool. to, to do band in CCA, definitely. Yeah, just don't play the euphonium. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool, cool. Yeah, so yeah, thanks for that. I, and yeah, I, that's really interesting. I think, um, yeah, I, I can imagine your first experiences uh, or your first experience playing in a large ensemble like the orchestra or the band should be quite overwhelming. Mm. right yeah all of a sudden people telling you to play in time you know, follow my beat yeah, yeah. whatever that means right mm-hmm. yeah cool so uh, um, you, you've already shared uh your take on uh how this um pandemic has shaped us um uh with regards to how we think about our work and and things like that as a freelancer based overseas mm. do you feel like you have to now work even harder to keep your place or to be continued to be uh, to be based overseas. Mm-hmm. And in the future, are we expecting you to relocate back to Singapore? Okay, so um, the pandemic has made me pro more proactive online. That's definitely one thing. It is it is done. So on my website mm. and my YouTube channel, I've been spending a lot more time and effort on trying to grow my base of online. Followers, I think it's a fact, I might be wrong, of course, but that the world is only going to be increasingly digitized over time. And that goes for, for sure. pretty much any and every uh, industry. So mm. more and more things, I mean, more and more things are now easily accessible on the internet. And personally, I believe online teaching is as effective as in-person person teaching. This definitely varies from instrument to instrument, I'm sure. I'm sure most mm. people don't feel this way, but uh, having had experience of teaching uh, online for students who are not where I am in the same country, in, in other countries for about a mm. year or more, I can definitely say it's as effective. Even in this pandemic, I've started um, a complete beginner on the oboe. Um, right. Uh, and at first, I was actually pretty stressed that he would not be able to get a single thing I'm, I'm talking about because he's young. I mean, like seven years old. And okay. Um, of course, everything is only seen through a screen, like my embouchure, where my fingers go on the keys, and that can be a bit confusing. But I was so encouraged 
by the fact that in the very first lesson, he was able to make a sound on the read that is already a huge plus. Uh, and mm. I even got to teach him four new notes on the oboe, which I, I never dreamt I would be able to do. So um, I see. that has further proven to me that it is effective. Both, both parties, teacher and student, need to have a stable internet connection. That is definitely uh, a one thing yeah. that has to, has to be true. But apart Correct. from that, communication-wise, it's all great. Great. Mm. Yeah, so, um, I mean, as a freelancer, it's of course a little bit worrisome, the near future. Mm. Um, yeah. The music industry will be slow to recover. Different different rates and speeds for different countries. But yeah, I believe definitely. in general, it will be pretty slow. And as a freelancer, mm. gig opportunities will likely be few and far between. So I would take this time these couple or so years to build up my online presence and community of followers. Like try to monetize your craft online and don't keep relying on the phone to ring. Yeah. So yeah, to, to be honest, this waiting for the phone to ring concept is not sustainable either way, right? Mm. Pre-COVID or post-COVID, it's not going to work. But just that it's clearly highlighted now that it is absolutely not going to work. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And yeah, so your take about diversifying is, yeah, very true. Mm. Yeah, and um, I, yeah, I mean, in, in the meantime, of course, finances are tight and everything. And I, I don't think there is, you know, any kind of shame in trying to just keep the some income coming in through other means. You know, um, as long as it sustains you, because I still need to buy read making materials to keep practicing. I still need to, you know, like cane staples, all those sort of things. Mm. So I still need to have yeah. uh, some sort of income at the moment when nothing is happening yeah. in the music world at all, apart from my teaching, of course. But yeah, yeah even teaching can be unstable at times. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting that the the first thing that you say that you have to purchase is your canes and your for your read making. <laughs> <laughs> for me I'll be like oh maybe maybe I'll I need to think about um what I'm going to eat for lunch tomorrow mm. but yeah so say, this <laughs> this shows a, a a complete different level of uh, devotion <laughs> to the craft <laughs> yeah cool 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 yeah so uh how about um Potentially moving back to Singapore or um, wanting to stay for as long as possible overseas? I'm. This is uh, very hard to say. I'm currently on a five-year visa in the UK, which ends at the end of 2024. So uh, um, okay. I presume I would at least be finishing the course of this visa uh, un unless there is something major that happens in between. Uh, mm. Yeah, so... Of course, it's, it's very hard to tell how things will turn between now and then, especially with this. It was hard to tell even before COVID, and, and now with COVID, it's even more hard to tell. So I can't really say. But I, I choose to go with the flow in general in life and also with, yeah, I mean, to go with the flow and where where life takes me. Yeah, I, I believe there's, mm. if, if things and the turn of events seem to be pushing you in a particular direction, there's no, you shouldn't be forcing against it, so to speak. It, it's a little bit of gut feeling yeah. as well, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But in any case, after five years, you'll know the best spots for fish and chips in London anyway. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, look, Bernice, I think 
uh, this chat has been absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Uh, your your energy, your drive to be proactive, your motivation to uh, churn out online content and do things for yourself is really, really remarkable. You're like this kind of ball of energy. <laughs> and I think it, it, it's, it's kind of like rubbed off me a little bit. Oh. Uh, I would practice now, except it's like half seven in Singapore <laughs> at the moment. So right. for, for the benefits of my neighbors, maybe I'll save it until tomorrow. Yeah. But yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. And thank you so much for uh, sharing all this uh, very honest and wonderful uh, insights to your life, mm -hmm. your development and the things that you've been doing. And also obviously your thoughts about the current landscape of what mm -hmm. we do. Yeah. No, thank so, you yeah. so much for your time as well. It's, it's been a great pleasure to speak with you. And hopefully we can meet um, in person at some point. Yeah, yeah. for sure. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll be, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I've I spent a couple of years in Manchester and I really ah. want to, to go back there. Oh, yeah. Nice. So I studied at the Royal Northern College for, for four years at RNCM. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've oh. still got friends there. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. So hopefully when things get a little bit better, yeah. uh, I can start, I can, I can fly over to the UK, yeah, but sure. uh, from yeah. the looks of it, yeah, we'll, we'll take it step by step. Yeah. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Be sure to check out Benis's website and YouTube page to listen to some pretty insane playing. <laughs> Links will be provided in the show description. Uh, thank you once again, Bernice. Thank you so much. Please Thanks, take care of yourself. Yes, you too. Yeah. Stay safe. And on that note, we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time.